As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. I am one of your hosts. My name is Alex Croson. And I'm your other host. I'm Casey. Wow. There's a bunch of hairs. <laughs> not hairs. You know... <laughs> There's stuff on my microphone, Alex. Without fail, you, you find something to do the moment we start recording. Yeah, it's far more interesting than me just being like, <laughs> also, hello. NPR would be very, very upset with how we do this show. Oh, I doubt that. I should say how I do this show. <laughs> Hi, Casey. Good day, Alex. How's it going? It's going all right. I'm glad to see you. You're wearing your old Lakers gear again. Oh, yeah. Now, that's the Lake Oswego Lakers, to be very clear. That's right. Alex this is biased I, towards them. I worked at that school for a, a mere a couple months and mm-hmm. got a... Hey, I got it. This is the this is the ultimate example of I worked at that school and all I got was this lousy sweatshirt. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's nice like it's sweatshirt. I love it. It's my home sweatshirt. Yeah, I usually wear true. it when I'm at home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How are you, Casey? I'm doing very well. Doing this, it's great. It's yeah. a nice day. I've uh, been working hard, just writing things, doing a lot. Just yeah. everything's always a lot all the time. And I think it's good, but also feeling stressed sometimes. Yeah, got to make sure everyone knows that even people like me. Can feel stress. <laughs> sure. I mean, I'm sorry. That's a little bit. That's a little bit uh, inside. We don't need to do this now, but I will say you are really good at, at saying yes to things. Mm, yes. True. Oh, Casey. Oh my God. I caught you in the act. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I do. I do tend to say yes to things and also tend to try to, to do things. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Like even writing is a big thing for me. I'm trying to mm-hmm. be a writer. So I'm trying to say yes to doing writing things. Sure. But it also takes me, uh, I can't just sit down and be like, mm, okay. And here's like 30 paragraphs. I have to like write it. And then I'm like, am I, is this where I want to go? And then I rewrite something. Then I like, I'm trying to get my technique down. Okay. So it's a learning while doing, as uh, they say, uh, I'm building the ship while I'm sailing it. Is yeah, that it? Is that, that sounds that, right. Something yeah. like that? Or like the the railroad as you're going, you're like yeah. putting the, the ties and the rails. Exactly. Like. So I'm I'm building the thing I'm going on mm. and figuring out where I'm going all at the same time. Yeah. Uh, it's great. Although I, I you know, it's just a, it's a lot. Well, there's a lot happening all the time, as you say. So exactly. <laughs> I love that phrase. Uh, Casey, one of the things happening mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is that you and I commissioned some beautiful artwork. We did. From artist Tori Gorham. That's right, down there in Australia. That's right. Mm-hmm. This was a while ago, and we got it recently, got it uh, printed on a tote bag. That's right. It's incredible, you guys. It is a great bag. I it cannot is. wait to go out into the field and use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fill it with stuff yeah a lot of people would say detritus if it was me oh i was thinking like 
cheeses. Oh gosh, yeah, we're going to <laughs> we're going to different places. I think yeah. Um, that tote bag is now available on our merch store, arbitrarypod.com slash merch. Right. Or if you just search our name and the word merch, it'll pop up. And guess what, Casey? What, Alex? For the month of February, if you buy a piece of merch featuring art by Tori Gorham, yeah. this includes the new tote bag, That's right. the Tree Buds t-shirt, mm-hmm. and the Tree Buds postcard. That's right. You get 10% off if you use the coupon code new tote. Now, I noticed you had an inflection there of a query. Yeah. yeah. It's like you see a friend and they have a new tote. You go, new tote? Yes. Now, to be very clear, uh-huh. as a statement, you must ask that as a question on the website. The The discount code is new tote question mark. Exactly. That is how you get 10% off anything by Tori Gorm, any art, any, any merch featuring the art of Tori Gorham, um, including the new tote. And did you know... If you follow us on your podcast app of choice, you do know that we just started a new mainline series called Seed Pod, Mm -hmm. and our first episode came out last Monday. That's right. This most recent Monday, to my understanding. Yes, and it features Phyllis Reynolds, Portland tree legend. Uh, She's an author, and she is uh, was one of the one of the founding committee members of the Portland Heritage Tree Committee. That's right. And she is a 94 year old woman. She's just crushing it out there next it, to the Arboretum. Yeah. She lives up in the Arboretum, mm-hmm. basically. Essentially, yeah. Um, it was a great, sweet conversation, and yeah. we edited it and put it online so that you can hear it. Exactly. Now, of course, we also should let you know that that is available to you. It's just a small section of yeah. the whole conversation that we had. We sat down with Phyllis for about an hour, 15 minutes or so, mm-hmm. and the rest of it, and a video of the whole thing yeah. is available on our premium subscription service, which we highly recommend and encourage that you sign up for. Not only do you get to hear this really cool interview and other interviews, you also get things like live streams. You can join the Cone Club. You can get a new Cone of the Month every single month mm-hmm. by an artist printed here in Portland. Uh, you also can ask us anything you want. In fact, literally anything. We we call this an Ask Me Anything. Oh, uh, yeah. An AMA. That is all at arbitrarypod.supercast.com. That's right. You can find it basically anywhere. Yeah, on Instagram, there's a click button for it. Uh, yeah, so there's there's our big news. New tote and new series. And please support the podcast at arbitrarypod.supercast.com. Casey. That's exactly right. Today we are talking about a tree that when I discovered the species we were talking about, I was shocked that we hadn't covered it yet. That's right. You did. You said that. This is the Western Juniper, Juniperus Occidentalis. Yeah. And of course, we will get to that discussion after the break. We'll be right back with Completely Arbitrary. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. 
Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Thank you. Today we are talking Western Juniper. That's right, Alex. Juniperus occidentalis. Juniperus occidentalis. Casey. Yes, Alex. Let's imagine as we do every episode. Please. I know exactly where I would want to be walking here. Where? Just the the of course the the juniper lens of uh of central Oregon. Ooh, I love that that is where you want to do this. I love it over there. The it's, question is where exactly? How about close to Bend? Ah, yeah, okay, that sounds great. Yeah. Perfect. There's a wilderness area out there called uh I believe the Oregon Badlands Wilderness. Wow. Filled with these trees. Well, let's go to the Badlands, my friend. All right. Casey Let's ID this tree. Uh, let's do it. This is a spectacular tree. I I like this tree a lot. Wow. And I I don't really I don't really have a good reason as to why. Hmm. It might just be that it's the one that I know of. It's like the most common in my experience. But this is the juniper that is of the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Like by far more than any other one. It's Soon as you start going down to the south and going to the east in the Great Basin and the desert southwest, that kind of area, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of them all over the place. Okay. As, you, as you go west into Wyoming and Colorado, Idaho, Montana, Nevada, you get other species. But in the Pacific Northwest, and I should say probably more specifically in Oregon, yeah, this is the juniper almost exclusively if you're in Oregon and you see juniper, 99.9% of the wow. time, it is a Western juniper. It might as well be called the Oregon juniper. It does very well here. It really does. And it just is absolutely crushing it. It grows on the east side, though. You're not going to find it growing very commonly on the west side, oh, yeah. other than down in the Siskiyous. Hmm. In the Siskiyous, the Klamath Mountains, northern California, southern Oregon, it stretches itself inland a wow. little bit. And then also continues down, so you can find it kind of on the on the coast where it's a little bit hotter, a little bit warmer, uh, where the soils are not quite so lush and green where you see other conifers that can grow bigger, taller. Ponderosa Pine is a great example. Jeffrey Pine also. Okay. So, you walk in uh, over in Bend, Central Oregon, anywhere essentially east of the Cascades in Oregon, and you're going to find a big, bushy-looking tree. Yeah. It's going to get not too tall, but it's not going to be too short. They tend to stay um, around 30 feet. I think, like, the biggest one has been, uh, I think it's upwards of, like, 50 feet or so. So, they're, like, big-ass trees. They're not the kind of juniper that people think of uh, when they run into a little scrubby tree that's just kind of on the side of a rock. Sure. I imagine like scrabbly, short, kind uh, of yeah. uh, windswept. Right. Almost it, almost like a shrub. Yeah. And they can grow like that. They certainly do. Okay. But in the cushiest spots in these kind of dry uh Upland areas is mm-hmm. mostly where you'll find them in this uh, the spaces that are a little too dry for ponderosa pine, but just wet enough that you can have these larger trees grow. Boom! That's where you're going to find them. And they're just large, gorgeous trees. They are so beautiful. Uh, what I love about junipers, I guess specifically the western juniper I'm talking about, yeah. is that like I feel like a even a somewhat young one in mm-hmm. tree terms mm-hmm. already looks... Like it, it's wise and oh, has a lot of story to it. Really? 
I think it's the, well, how about we start in terms of ID characteristics? Yeah. How about we start with the, the bark? Casey? All right, let's start with the bark. So on mature trees, the bark is, uh, it's very thick. It's very reddish. It can kind of become grayish if it gets a little weathered. And it tends to kind of spiral up as the branches and the trunk get bigger. And it becomes very thick and furrowed. It's a little fibrous looking, but it's very hard most mm. of the time. So that is very classic of a fire-adapted species. Thick bark, fibrous bark, and also, of course, it's in the cypress family, Capressaceae, as yeah. a juniper. And it ends up becoming these like really red-looking spiral kind of really rough-and-tumble-looking branches, or looking bark on all of these branches. Mm. So it's really gorgeous. However... As a young tree, it looks starkly different. It becomes far more shaggy and kind of like flakes off almost. So in vertical shapes or vertical flakes, I should say. It's very beautiful. That's when it's young? That's when it's young, yeah. Mm. So as it gets older, those flakes kind of start to really become a little bit more harder. Okay. Great, beautiful tree. Can we talk about the spiralness of it all? Oh, we sure can. Uh, I think we mentioned this one time. It, I mean, it... it the bark literally looks like it's growing in a spiral, or the trunk yeah. looks like it's growing in a spiral. Exactly. This is due to uh, this is due to weather. It is not quite weather. No one's quite sure okay. what happens. We know that it provides extra strength. So hmm. as a tree's uh, grain spirals up, also the bark can start to spiral as well. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes that doesn't happen because you have the cork cambium that produces the bark, and you have the cambium inside underneath the bark that produces the xylem and the phloem. Okay. That, the, the, the angles of the fibers can be just off a little bit, so it ends up looking like it's spiraling up. Mm. Whereas... The outside, the bark can be perfectly vertical. It can just look normal. Interesting. So in this case, um, that's all growing together, and they all kind of end up making a spirally pattern in the wood grain as well as the bark. And it is also probably due to the way the tree is swaying and moving around. Oh, maybe that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, so that is, uh, there's a lot of different theories about uh, exactly what's happening. No one's quite sure why, what the adap adaptation is. But... Most people are thinking it has to do with the fact that a tree is big and exposed to a lot of weather. Yeah. And trees famously, as they dampen, I shouldn't say famously, turns out most nobody knows this. So, hmm. eh, read my article and I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> they, uh, as they bend and sway, they don't just go backwards and forwards like what you kind nice. of just imagine like if you're waving your hand in a kind of a, a very rigid way. They twist as they bend. Mm -hmm. So it's, you, it's like a matrix bullet time. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God, that's perfect. Yeah. Except imagine, you know, not quite so intensely and they kind of go back and forth in a really nice little fashion. Yeah. Yeah. So that is, that's a perfect explanation. That was, that was excellent. How oh. many people do you think these days have seen the matrix? I think a lot of people. Thank God. I love the matrix. <laughs> I think it's so good. <laughs> best documentary there's ever been. Uh-huh. <laughs> So that is uh, that spiral pattern yeah. that you usually get. So as the tree is bending and swaying, it's bending, but it's also rotating. So you can end up getting this kind of spiraled um, cracking, these spiraled micro tears and stresses on the wood. Yeah. So then when the next wood comes out, it is at an angle because that's kind of how the crack was. So it fixes itself at an angle, and then it ends up kind of 
keeping that going because every year it bends and sways a little bit more. So you end up developing as the tree gets older and starts to hit more wind, get more stress. It maintains that, uh, that fixing spiralness. Well, I think when I said that's due to weather, that's kind of, that's what I meant. It's oh, like the, the elements, the wind and the, honestly, I just thought rain, like, oh. how, like how much water does it have? <laughs> Cause we, as we also talk about fire depth. Okay. No, no, yes. No. You're, you're all right then in that okay. case. Yeah. Well, gorgeous, gorgeous bark, gorgeous form, gorgeous form becomes rounded it's kind of you know as a big tree you know yeah. starts very very pointed you know has a has just a single little leader that comes up very thin very skinny mm. here's the fun thing though alex wow it as it comes out uh the branches the leaves and by extension the buds are all in threes Interesting. Yes. Now imagine you have three things: one, two, three, and then you have a second, uh, a second number that's just offset, so they kind of sit in between each other. Okay. So you have one, two, three, four, five, six at mm-hmm. any one given point in time. The way that these twigs grow is they are little tiny diamond-shaped leaves that are covered very scale-like on the growth. So the buds underneath those scales, because remember, each scale-like leaf is a leaf, so there's an associated bud. Sure. When new twigs grow from those buds, they're also in threes. Interesting. So if you look and go, uh, if you can't quite conceptualize what I'm talking about, uh, go to our website, arbitrarypod.com, go to episodes, click on the juniper, scroll down to the very first thing that just simply says, the Western Juniper, Juniperus occidentalis. That's going to take you to the Oregon State Landscape Plants website. As you scroll down, you'll see a bunch of uh, some paragraphs about this tree, a lot of the stuff that I use when I tell you how to look at it. There is also going to be a picture. The picture is going to be on the left side, and it will show a profile of the tree as if you're looking down the twig. And looking down that twig, he has arrows pointed out. This is all done by Mr. Patrick Breen. And he shows the arrows, and you can see very, very clearly that it grows out in threes, where you have a twig coming out from one side, another side, and then down. Kind of like the... uh, the the spaceships that uh, are the the royal trans transport ships in Star Wars, where they have a, a top oh, yes. uh, wing and mm-hmm. then two wings that come down, They're like a piece or a, a what's the, yeah a piece a sign. little bit yeah it's like an equilateral triangle yeah you know so so are these are these oppositely arranged no. still the three they're they're, they're well sorry are they um. Uh, what am I trying to say? Do they are they op- Would they be oppositely arranged if there were two? Like, are they growing out from the same oh, spot on the stem? Uh, yes, uh, yes, they are. Yes, okay. so they're in threes. They're so not they, staggered. Right? No, they're they're whirled in threes. Whirled. Okay, Casey. I would also love to briefly touch on the stomatal bloom. Oh, I am happy you brought that up. Which kind of gives it its gray green appearance. It does. Yeah, it's got a gray green appearance. Because that stomatal bloom, it outlines each one of these rhombus or diamond-shaped leaves. Yeah. So you have three diamond-shaped leaves that go around the twig. And then nestled in between the top of the diamond is the bottom of the next diamond. So they are perfectly nestled in. They look like they are patterned right next to each other. Yeah, they're like tiles on, exactly. a, on a backsplash. With this nice little like stomatal bloom going mm. right on the edge of each one of them. So they really like stand out it's this light blue green light blue green and it just looks fantastic the bloom in the tile analogy the bloom being the grout grout. between the tiles precisely it's great it's a great looking tree it really is you know uh, what i love about it part of the thing i love about it is that it's great looking from any 
distance. Uh, yeah. yeah it's yeah, a yeah. beautiful tree if you just are standing 20 yards away from mm-hmm. it. It's mm-hmm. beautiful if you're standing up close. It's beautiful if you're taking a really close look yeah. and seeing all the little intricacies. And another intricacy that you'll find mm. is on each one of those leaves, there's a little teeny tiny gland that puts out a little bit of exudate. Yeah, tell us about this. Well, it's essentially uh, a thing that happens with a lot of cypress family plants, a lot of the leaves will have these little teeny tiny glands. Sometimes you can't even tell that it's a gland. It kind of just looks like a dark shadowy kind of spot in the middle of the leaf. Okay. But on this juniper specifically, it's very obvious and they put out a very intense um, uh, little bit of sap, a little bit of a uh, little uh, resin that just kind of goes. Yeah. Bleep. If you're, if you're trying to imagine like when you say gland, I think of mm. like a little organ or something. Yeah. It's really just like a little pin pinpoint hole yeah 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 but you you can kind of uh see it it looks sometimes a little bit different than what you'd expect like you're thinking maybe like a lenticel kind of like a little dot uh and now i'm not saying that you're wrong but i'm saying that on other plants as well and other things in the cypress family it looks like there could be uh it looks almost like a little depression where you can't see an exact dot but you see more like oh there's that looks like a little thing that might be there a little dip yeah, almost okay. like a bruise. It looks like something bruised it perfectly right in the middle. Interesting. But not like hard bruise, just kind of like a uh, oh, ow. A little oh. yellow bruise. Yeah, just the tiniest. Um, well, yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous, uh, gorgeous foliage. Yeah. Oh, boy, we're big fans of this one, aren't we? We are. Yeah, well, only certain times, because that is the mature foliage. Oh, wow. It also, famously for junipers, has a juvenile foliage, which is the kind of leaves that we call all-like. Oh yes, yeah. all is a, a all. A W L comes from a, a like a I guess a leather working tool. Yeah, um, it's like a spike. It's like a spike. It's pretty much it. It's a spike, and uh, people use it also for like axing into things. Like you can kind of dig with it a mm-hmm. little. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have these kind of sharp leaves that are oppressed to the stem at the base, and they're wide. Yeah, and then they end up popping outwards and skinning down to look more like needles. Yeah. So they're very sharp in that regard. Okay. Don't so want to touch them? You don't want to touch them. They are pokey. They are violent. Okay. And they are designed so that if an animal comes over and browses a little uh. bit, tree knows that it's got damaged, sends out a new shoot, and that new shoot will be covered in spikes. Wow. So then the animal will be like, okay, 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 okay. I, I get it. And then won't eat it. And then further down that shoot, it'll start putting on this mature foliage, which is just scales, no protection at all. How about that? Isn't that fantastic? I would love to talk about the cone as well. One of my favorite activities when I'm in Central Oregon mm-hmm. is to walk up to a juniper tree, grab a little cone, and just crush it between my hands. Jeez. And rub it all around, and then go like this. Ah, <sighs> really give it a. We give a good, good smell, good deep, like a superstar inhale. style, where she sticks her hands in her pits, you know, then goes. You know what I'm talking about, <laughs> Molly Shannon? <laughs> no. All right. Uh, I honestly, I don't think I've seen that movie. That's fine. You're I'm not sorry. missing out. Okay. Um. Yeah. Lovely smelling elements to this tree. Yeah. The cone is no exception. It's gorgeous. And when we say cone, mm. what do we mean, Alex? Uh, Conish. We mean Conish. <laughs> it's a berry. This is the famous juniper berry, right? That's right. Now, you remember uh, juniper berries being the things that are not 
actual berries, but are actual cones. Yes. They are called that because they look like a berry because they're doing the same thing that a berry would do. Yeah. That is getting an animal to eat it, and then it flies away. Mm-hmm. Or runs away. Whatever. It goes away and poops it out somewhere else. But if you take the cone mm-hmm. and you peel off its sort of outer shell type thing. Yeah. It's just, well, it's not even an outer shell in this case. Like uh, yeah. the the things in our, uh, let's say the the stinking cedars, uh, they are the trees that are in the taxis family, cephalotaxis, and they look like plums and they have like this outer kind of thing on Mm. it. So it looks like one very like uniform fruit looking thing. This, the cone, the actual, like the, the each scale itself has so much bloom on it and actually becomes fleshy. There's no actual outer layer. You can just kind of rub off the outer layer and you can see all the different individual scales all smashed together sure and then if you like pinch it okay. kind of what you're talking about like you brick it open a little yeah, bit yeah yeah that you're just really opening the the whole scales itself okay the whole cone okay and then you'll see that's fleshy so it's not sure. it's not a it's not a shell no no it's, shell it's just it's just layers of bloom yeah that create much. like a like a membrane exactly yeah wow. so it's all kind of just it, it is slowly but surely looking like it's fusing itself together. Yeah, sure. And that's by design because it essentially wants to look like one berry that then a bird or an animal would be like, hey, cool, that was sweet. That looks delicious. I'm going to go eat it. Yeah. You just said uh, queet when I was saying cool and sweet at the same time. <laughs> Man, you're really queet. Anyway, this queet tree is... Uh... <laughs> is quite a beauty case. Yeah, it's a really cool it's a really cool tree. And it is also dioecious, which means that it has plants that have predominantly pollen-bearing mm. uh, cones, sure. predominantly ovule-bearing cones that then will become the the big fleshy ones that everyone knows about. Is it possible for a, a you know, a quote female or ovule mm. uh, bearing tree to grow male cones? It sure is. They huh. they don't generally switch back and forth, uh-huh. but it's not like 100%, you know? It's 98%, 2%. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Where you'd see like, oh, there's a couple cones on that one. And then one will be like just covered. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Well, Casey, let's let's drop the ball here. Yeah, let's... Let, uh, yeah, is so that the metaphor you're looking for? <laughs> hey, we drop the ball every episode. <laughs> this one, we're picking it back up. There we go. So let's, let's tell people the story of... Our coverage of this tree Ooh, as yes. an episode of please. Completely Arbitrary. Please, please, please. Well, I'll start and then I'll, you can pick up because this is close to your heart as the content director of this show. Thank you. We had this idea, when I say we, it was you, of doing a series of episodes called... The Seven Deadly Stems. The Seven Deadly Stems. Yeah. You came up with the name, though. I did? I think so. Oh, great. Um, so... Uh, where we we talked about the seven deadly sins yep. being lust, greed, etc. I'm not going to mm-hmm. name them all. Lest the devil come after me. Lest <laughs> um, that's he how you, that's you. How you summon Beelzebub. <laughs> uh, and this tree, the Western juniper, was mm-hmm. going to represent the sin of greed. That's right. You started doing the research, mm-hmm. and you said, "This doesn't feel right." This doesn't feel right. Tell us about that. Well. So the seven deadly sins, as we were talking, uh, 
some of them are kind of fun. I mean, lust yeah. is, you know, let's be honest. Who doesn't love lust? Who doesn't love lust, you know? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, so, but that's kind of the thing. It's, like it's, a, it's a bit outdated, right? Yeah. So the fact that we have, um, have this as like this old, you know, ugh, whatever, the Christians of the world of the mid 1000s sure. had to come up with some big morality thing. Yeah. So whatever, cool, let's just live with it. It reeks of late antiquity. It does. It really <laughs> does. And and so nowadays like ah it's it is it's dubious at best to say that we're really going to take it seriously. Sure. Obviously, we're making a pun and it's about trees. So we can't take it too seriously. But all this to say, some of them are great. We can make a nice little thing like, let's talk about wrath and this tree sure. and how it does that. That's fun. Then when we talk about greed, uh, it kind of still is almost like it has a negative connotation. Even today, of course. Uh, even if it's not a seven, seven deadly sin kind of greed, it still is like, oh, well, you're just being greedy. Mm -hmm. It's just not like there are very few times when someone could say, hey, you know what? Be a little greedy here. And be sure. in a positive light. Yeah. So all that to say, uh, I was going through this, and normally, if I was going to be doing seven deadly stems, and I choose greed, I'd be like, "Yeah, well, this tree." And I tell you a story about a tree. It's a little bit of an asshole. It's a tree that you that you a, a dislike based yeah, on your experience. Exactly, with it. a yeah. tree that is going to uh, it's gonna you're gonna give a little, and it's gonna take it all, and it will never give anything back. As I'm doing this research, uh, I kind of knew where I was going with this. I already had an idea. I knew why we chose this tree for that sin. Mm -hmm. And the whole point is, essentially, uh, I'll give you the, 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 the headline. This is a tree that over the last about 150 years or so wow. has been increasing its range. Mm. Not only has it been increasing its range, it's extremely good at competing in its range and it will suck up all of the water yeah. because it just has a really good root system. It's almost a leliopathic. So it's not killing things, but it is, um, making it harder for other things to live. Exactly. Your and honor. <laughs> your honor. <laughs> you sp that's spot on. Alex. Yeah. It's spot on. So I, I'm doing some research and, uh, the, one of the articles that I found was really good and it's called, I mean, I say it's really good. I have a little bit of a little bit here. It's called the tree that ate the West. Oh wow! It's a very good uh, thing. It's uh, by Biographic is the name of this uh, this company or this uh, this internet website. Hmm. And uh, I think the author did a very good job. It's Rebecca Heisman and the photographer is Catherine Whitney. And they wrote this article. I read she wrote this article on the Western juniper here in Oregon, went to this very place that you and I imagined that we were walking this, uh, Oregon badlands, yeah. uh, wilderness and talks about how this tree has done something and is called something that I have a big problem with. Wow. And that's why I couldn't make it into the seven deadly sin. I felt complacent. It deserves better. It deserves better. Or it at least, I, Let's get into it. Alex. Okay. Wow. The reason that oh I can't God. do it. Did you just edit yourself? I did. I edited Holy myself. Holy shit. Yeah. Did you guys I got see chills. that? <laughs> and I was just like, that's my job. Get out of here. It's like seeing an eclipse. <laughs> so the big thing that this is talking about, the, the subtitle is both native and invasive, protected and reviled Western junipers are living contradiction. Wow. So. Interesting. My whole scheme was that this tree's greedy. It is actively 
expanding its range and taking more land and space. It also is sucking up all the water, so it's better at competing. So it is greedily taking more of all the Mm. resources. Great. What a good storyline that would be. Sure. The fact that they call this invasive, I have a really big uh, kind of chip on my shoulder for this idea of a native tree being considered invasive. In its native habitat. In its native habitat. Sure. So Yeah, that makes no sense. It that's, makes no sense. That's, that's a contradiction of uh, definitions. Exactly. Which, of course, she literally says right here. It's a living contradiction. Sure. But this is my problem. If it's a contradiction, then it's a logical fallacy, and it can't be that. Because mm-hmm. by definition, a contradiction is contradicting itself Uh it means that it is two different and mutually exclusive things at the same time which is impossible okay so is this tree invasive or is it native because if it's native it can't be invasive the idea being for anybody who who's wondering the difference here invasive means that it goes and invades somewhere that is not its native native habitat or it's brought somewhere where it's not uh you know mother nature didn't intend for it to be and so it has a different skill set, you know, depending on the rules of the of the new area. And it gets really strong and it starts like out competing everything to an unfair degree. Yes, that is that's literally it. And the way I um, have termed it in my book, because I wanted to try to give this a little bit of some context where I say this is before is a plant that existed in our region prior to Europeans coming over and intervening, essentially just having any effect on the landscape. Mm. I'm not going to necessarily say that it is a plant that was brought over on purpose. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they come because of something else. So somebody was eating an apple on the uh, ship. That yeah. Right. Carried them over and they spit it out into the, into the, Exactly. Yeah. It's not necessarily they came and planted it and said, now this tree's here. And then it, you know, escaped cultivation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is, what I want to do. And even as I say that, it makes me be like, okay, that definition also is a little squishy mm. because intervention and just is just changing something. That's why I wanted to make it kind of this broad term before they, uh, the European settlers came over and just changed how things were. So in this whole area, there's a geographical range. And the geographical range of the Western Juniper is known. It's certain areas with certain water types in Oregon, California, and a little bit into Nevada and Idaho and Washington. That is where this tree is geographically native to. And that's kind of what I want to stick with. So conditions change all the time. And you and I have had this conversation a few different times. Like if you uh, if you cut down a forest or you have a grassland, a grassland is just a little too dry to become a forest, but give it enough time and a little more water, it will become a forest. Mm. Do the opposite, give enough time, take away water, a forest will become a shrubland or a grassland or something sure. else. These things are in cycles. It's always going to be changing, you know? And so in this case, there used to be fire. There was fire that was naturally occurring all over the landscape, and there was fire that was set by the native peoples Mm. who've been managing the land for all time. The junipers were growing and were held in check on certain areas. And I learned a term, and I wanna I wanna read this term to you because it was a it's a fun term that I didn't know existed before. But the term is topoidaphic. Topoidaphic. Yes. So what this means is that it is 
its range and its habitat are kind of exclusive to certain places and so certain soil types. So in this case, they say that it's a tapiodaphic dominant or climax species. And they say it in quotes because mm. it's a tree that isn't really competing with anything else. So it is at any given point a early succession, mid-succession, late-succession tree. There is there is no other tree. It's not like it's waiting for ponderosa pine to come in and take over or something like that. When it's in a, when it's in like a juniper forest or whatever? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So it grows on the edges of these spaces that have the right kind of soil, which is usually some kind of uh, volcanic-esque kind of thing, very mm. dry. And it grows on spaces that are far enough away from a lot of other stuff where there's just not a lot of fire. So like if you ever go to Eastern Oregon, you can find these rim rock kind of Mesa Butte areas. Sure. And on Is that like Painted Hills? No, not quite that. It would be a little bit further to the south. The Painted okay. Hills are a different geographic kind of situation. Okay. This is where you had uh like rim rock where you can see very clearly there is uh there used to be a bunch of lava that flowed over the land. I know this. Yeah, yeah, and then it like eroded away, so you get like these big hills with like these perfectly flat tops. Kind of like the it's a classic like American West yes. landscape. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Now over here in Oregon, and this is kind of the beginning of the Great Basin. It's a little bit different than the stuff down in the Southwest, mm. where over here we actually have a little bit more soil than the Southwest generally has, and. These trees will grow there, and they're perfectly happy. They've grown there for a long time. They live for a long time. They're fire-adapted, but they're also sensitive to fire. Hmm. The big old ones can live. The younger ones usually are kaput. Contradiction indeed. Exactly. So, now, since about 1870, uh, settlers came over, and they said, no more fires. We're going to stop doing any fires. We're also going to split up the land. So I have my ranch. You have yours. Uh, I guess that over there is going to become what will soon be known as the BLM. So you have this landscape that used to be one big piece of land with this one tree and this whole ecosystem. They mm -hmm. call it the sagebrush steppe. And fires would go through, and any time these junipers would start to encroach down into different places, a fire would come through and be like, bah, 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 back, 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 back. Sure. And there's this balance. So junipers grew in their topoedaphic spaces. Wow. And the, uh, all these other sagebrush plants would grow elsewhere, which is also native grass. Now, if there's one thing I know that European settlers knew how to do, uh -huh. it's throw things off balance. <laughs> that was well said, Alex. Uh -huh. And that is precisely, precisely what happened. So these trees grow about every... 30 to 50 years it takes for them to like become mature and start mm. producing seeds and really start to take over. Okay. So it's a dry landscape. So things do not happen quickly. So over the last 150 years, there has been this slow march of the junipers who wow. have, we could say greedily taken over slowly, but surely. Now this has been called, and people are using this term in the same way that we say the tree of heaven is an invasive tree yeah. that's taking over different spaces and forest areas. That the way that people in the southeast would say that the uh, calorie pear has started to take over different forest areas and all these other species you can name a million. They're using that same terminology to say the western juniper is an invasive, a horribly noxious invasive tree wow. growing in its native habitat. Yeah, no. That just does not 
that doesn't ring true. Now, there are huge problems with this. The biggest problem uh, in terms of, well, let me say this. The biggest problem that people are trying to make sure it's framed in is habitat for the sage grouse. I should say the greater sage grouse. Is that a bird? That's a bird. It's a beautiful, beautiful bird. It's, if not endangered, it's certainly threatened because of habitat loss. Habitat loss, in this case, includes junipers coming down into what used to be sagebrush areas that only had Um. sagebrush that's maybe two or three feet tall. It's because if a plant is more than four feet tall, the sage grouse do not do their fancy reproductive thing that they do. It is an incredible procedure. Have you heard about this? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, dude. Oh, can, can you tell us? Well, what do you know? What do you know? Well, they they fill up these big sacks on their chest. Uh-huh. And then and then what they kind of beat them with their with their wings? They or? beat them with the wings and they also make like these weird clicking sounds it's like, like dancing and things. Yeah, it's like a it's like um oh, it's a good example. I can't I can't think. Uh, go to YouTube and look up look sage up. grouse yeah. mating ritual or whatever. Then they do it. They they have these spaces called leks, L-E-K. And you go and they have like a bunch of females will kind of meet up here. And then the males come and just dance their asses off. Yeah. And then they all start, you know, having their babies. And they do this only where there's the right kind of conditions, which include a lack of tall trees. Because hawks and different falcon birds... We'll be hanging out in those tall trees, waiting for the sex dance, and then they'll go and, you know, ruin everything that's good in the world. Sure, a bunch of cock blockers up there. <laughs> well said. Now, to be clear, we're not going to beep that out, because a cock is a thank male you. bird. Thank you. Yes, thank you. I know, I know, when you're wow. being intentional with your language. They're literally cock blockers. <laughs> They're literally so. It's literally so. <laughs> So, Damn it. I wish that was the focus <laughs> of this episode so that could be the title. Uh, the cock blocker. Well, okay, I should say technically I don't know if we would call them cocks versus like a male rooster. Oh, is who it cares? Con? I know, but I'm just saying, Alex, this is why we this is why we have to be careful. No, you don't even need to. <laughs> you don't even. Uh, this just is smile why. Smile and nod. Yes, is, it's, it works. <laughs> it's good. This is why you come up with the names. <laughs> Better smiling than nodding. Oh, man. So. So in this case, you have junipers coming in and they're out competing sage grass and they're coming into these areas. Yeah. Used to be, as far as the eye could see, sage and that's it. Like there's some beautiful places outside of Bend that you just look and it's just like these perfectly spaced dotted patterns of yes. the sage for as far as you can see. So beautiful. It really is. Those color, that color palette, oh, by the way. It's outstanding. Incredible. So that is what it used to be. You can find sage grouse out there just having a ball. Yeah. As the juniper moves in and takes over, these are now looking like woodlands, like legitimate woodlands covered from head to toe with these medium-sized juniper trees. Now, no longer do sagebrush come in there. Now, here's where I'm a little bit dubious and why I'm like, okay, hmm, ranchers are the primary uh, land use owner, land use, landowner, whatever you want to say. That ranch is the primary land use of this area. They have uh, usually the land reserved for cattle. And the cattle is eating native grasses. Now, these native grasses are not meant to be grazed at the level that we graze them at. Okay. It's a big problem. It has been for decades. They're doing things about it. Like... like, like the cows are eating them too fast and they're not growing back fast enough for the cow to have more. Precisely. Or anything else like 
Sage grouse. Like some some grasses you would eat and then like the next week it would be Yeah, it's pop back up. Yeah. But this ecosystem is a little too fragile for that. It's not wet enough. So mm. the grasses will grow and then they'll grow back because they're always they've been evolved and adapted to be eaten by all sorts of herbivores for a very long time. Okay. But when you have an intense amount of cattle that are voracious and way bigger than say a pronghorn or something like that, an antelope, you end up finding that they graze too much too quickly. It's an unnatural thing. Exactly. So this is also what happens when you have junipers come in. They will mm. outcompete the grasses, even though they're native grasses, oh. and they will push the grasses out, which is exactly what happens with forest succession. As soon as you get trees coming in, they outcompete the things that are not trees. Yeah. Most of the time, if there's enough water and no fire. So our junipers are just doing what they do. They are just being junipers in their native habitat and take advantage of the lack of fire. Sure. So you have ranchers on one hand really upset because they're like, we got to get rid of all these junipers. They are an absolute invasive scourge upon the world. Mm. Then you have these other wildlife people who are like the sage grouse is losing all of its habitat because these goddamn junipers are coming in everywhere. And who takes it from all ends? The junipers. Yeah. But they're not, a, they're, we don't, that's fine. Like, honestly, you burn half of them down. There's still going to be plenty. They are, wow. uh, the birds, uh, their fruit, of course, is spread by birds. Mm -hmm. So they're always popping up all over the place. Like, they're very good at what they do. Sure. So they are out of balance 100%. I agree with this. However, I am dubious about the ranchers being so gosh dang upset about mm. this because they are trying to work to make their living. And I really want to acknowledge that's good. Like, you are running this. I eat the cows that you are making. I, I get it. But I will not go so far as to call this tree an invasive Thing, the worst invasive thing to ever happen in this part of the world since the humans that are there invading mm. this part of the world who have changed the entire landscape in a very literal way to be out of balance. Yeah. And now, because you tip the scales in favor of this one tree, the one tree's like, yeah, great, I'm going to take over because that's what I do. And now you're complaining about it. Right. Because I'm like, well, you did in the first place. Totally. Like, so it's a, it kind of just is a very complicated circular thing where on one hand, yes, we want the sage grouse habitat, but on the other hand, I'm not so uh, humanistic most of the time to say, yeah, no, we need ranches. I'm like, well, maybe we need to change our management practices, mm. have fewer cows or use the space differently and manage it. And trust me, this is like a very con controversial, convoluted subject and barely even getting in to really give someone. There's going to be great arguments on all sides. Okay. However, I am insistent that we need to just understand this not as a good or bad thing. And I just am convinced, Alex, that there is no possible way that we can say a native species is in fact an invasive species. That's all I have, Alex. What do you think? Wow. Mic drop. Mic drop. There's plenty more, I guess, we could talk about. <laughs> wow. You know, I'm in, a, I'm in agreement. It, the, I feel like this story comes up in, like, the template of this story yeah. comes up in so many ways. Like, There's a lot of ways to there, see it, right? Well, there, or, there's a human-caused issue. Mm -hmm. And then the humans complain about it. 
and the thing that always ends up taking the brunt of the uh, uh, of the heat off of these issues is the environment. Yeah, it's almost like you you blame you blame the trees for just just being just doing what they've always done. Yeah, taking advantage of the situation you created. It's almost like propaganda. Like it feels like look what it? these trees are doing. By the way, we made them do it. Uh, you better cut them all down. Yeah, we enabled these consequences, and now we're so mad that they're happening. Yeah, it's like war propaganda to like to make it okay to like vilify this tree that's just like crushing it in its native habitat. Yes, geographically native for certain. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's. Uh, I'm I'm also I'm mostly curious what this article what what this article says about all this. Ah, uh, well, honestly, it's a very well written article. I really I really did like it. We're not coming after this author or no, this article. No, 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 not at all. It, this is this is more of a discussion on the framing of a tree being native as invasive. Uh huh. That's the that's the big that like oh right there. Okay, just to be annoying and to be a um a good podcaster. And to be a contrarian. Yes. Let's say that I'm like, honestly, who gives a shit? <laughs> this is like 2020, Alex, right? Yeah. Like I would say, oh, you would say people are vilifying the the Western juniper and calling yeah. it invasive when it's not. I Back then I might have said, so why? who gives a shit? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Answer that question. Why is this important? I think it's important because it mixes two very specific terms okay and it it kind of uh blurs the the definition in a kind of management sort of way where anytime a tree is doing something in a place we don't want it to be doing it we'll call it invasive sure and if we start doing that then we can say well you know uh, the douglas fir is invasive here in the willamette valley or this other tree is invasive mm. because we changed the land use and now it is taking over where another tree used to be dominant because of, let's say, fire. Fire is always the, the, it usually always revolves around fire. Yeah. So we can call any tree that takes advantage of this change in this one kind of disturbance regime as an invasive species in that area, even though. Everything is cyclical. Everything is moving forward at some pace. I don't want to say forward. Everything is moving and going through stages of succession. Yeah. So if there is a species that we decide we want to uh, vilify, like you said, then we can do that on the auspices that, well, shoot, this didn't used to grow here, so we should get rid of it. It is invasive. I think, like you said, it is it's vilifying the wrong thing. It is mm-hmm. a uh, it's a scapegoat for what we are actually doing, which is this larger land use regime. That is also something that comes up a lot on this podcast is like fixing the uh, uh, what, what what do you what do you call it? Like treating the uh, the symptom, yeah, yeah, not yeah. the disease. Exactly. Right? Yes. This is that's exactly it. I would use the term that Jared Diamond presented in. Uh, guns, germs, and steel. Yeah. Where there's the proximate like cause, and there's the ultimate cause. Right. Ultimate cause is that big thing. The proximate cause are the things that we look at and say, ah, well, our we're running out of grass and we're running out of sage grass habitat. What's the proximate cause? There's juniper everywhere. What's the ultimate cause? Mm-hmm. 
fire regimes. Right. Okay. Interesting. A lot to chew on here. It's a lot much to like, chew on. Much like the grasses upon which the cows feed, and after the break, we'll shit it all out into a review of this tree. <laughs> Sometimes I just, I just am always stunned about the poetics that you, you can just pull out of. Thank you. Anyway. And with that, we'll be right back. <laughs> Casey, it's time to give a review to this tree. Yeah, we gotta give a we gotta give a review. And here's how it works. Okay. We're gonna get some final thoughts and then give this tree a rating of zero to ten golden berries of honor. Wow. That's I hate that. As our resident expert, we will begin with you. Oh you know, I think the Western juniper is beautiful. I think it's underplanted and we should utilize it more in rough places where we don't necessarily need to worry about it uh, having a negative impact on sage-grouse habitat or ranch habitat or whatever. I think it's a tree that is underused and should be used more. Nice. That's my thought. I also think that it is beautiful, and I don't think that this tree is at fault for being a tree that is good at doing what it does. Here, here. It's not an invasive tree. It is not a tree that we're like, God, this is ruining habitat because it shouldn't be here. It's ruining habitat because we changed the habitat to be better for it. And now you're defining a habitat, this tree's habitat, as something that it is not, but that you could have made it, but you made it something else. My God, I'd never heard something so clear in my life. And then I throw my nachos at it. Yes. Now, I, I want there to be. I want it to be back in balance. Yes. To be very clear. Mm-hmm. I just need to. I need to say that I can't blame this tree for throwing it off balance. It just happens to be sliding down to where it, it the balance is taking it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give the western juniper, and I'm going to compare this to some other junipers that I'm thinking in my head right now oh, to make wow. sure I'm doing this right. I'm going to give it an eight point eight. Eight point eight. An eight point eight for the western juniper. So I think it's the best of all the junipers. That's a mi- wow. That's what I. That's you what heard I it here ah, first. Okay, the best of all the junipers. No, I come on, stick to right it. Then. All right, it's the best of all the junipers. Any other juniper is not as good. You have to editorialize, my man. You're right. You're right. I now that I look back, Casey said this is his favorite tree every Listen. single episode. <laughs> if you're going to be an influencer, you have to make strong statements without uh, thinking about it too much. That's why I'm a horrible influencer. <laughs> I have actually taken Western juniper berries and made my own uh, uh, sourdough from them because they have yeast on there. Um, oh, the, the bloom. The bloom is yeasty? Yeah, it's got yeast on it. So you can put that in, add a little bit of stuff to it. <laughs> Sir, the bloom is yeasty. Get out there now. Take the shot. <laughs> Alex has been playing a lot of games the, recently. The bloom is yeasty is the new The Eagle Has Landed. <laughs> the bloom is yeasty. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so I'm going to go 8.8. 8.8 golden berries of honor. Alex, do you have an opinion on this tree? Because this is another tree you've had a lot of experience with. Yes. You've actually been east of the Cascades multiple times. Of course. Yes, of course. Um, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, I will say, like, even trees that grow in the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. I don't have a ton of experience with all of them because, as I've said before, I'm an indoor boy most of the time. But I do have a great fondness for Central Oregon, mm. the Bend area. You yes. Know? 
just around the bend, I would say. Um, (laughs) And I love Juniper Country. I love walking out in the morning. Wherever mm-hmm. I'm staying in West mm-hmm. in uh, Central Oregon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, don't call it Eastern. Everyone gets really upset. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. No, no. You did okay. You did okay. I'm just saying. Anyone out there who says Eastern Oregon, mm-hmm. you're talking about East of Bend. Yes, Bend yes. Central. Yes. Where I no longer like Oregon. <laughs> wow. All right. Another conversation. Teasing. Another conversation. Uh, and I love walking out in the morning, and you just get this flood, uh, in, especially in the cool, um, the cool months. Uh, and, you know, I feel like the air is just rich with the perfume of the junipers. Yeah, it's evergreen. It's always there. It is a gorgeous smell. I think they look fabulous. Mm-hmm. I think a juniper, if you're in the right place, would make a great, uh, statement piece tree yeah in the middle of your yard definitely i've seen one here i forgot where it was but it's in portland i'm pretty sure it was a western juniper and it's got this it's got this um great bonsai tree by the way yeah uh it's got this story to look to it it's it flows like water it's it's just gorgeous when they're when they're really old and and have a lot of a lot of rings on their growth. <laughs> they have this sort of, I mean, some of them I've seen, like they have almost no, they're just directionless. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just kind of going with what feels good. I know all trees do this, shut up, but they're like, they have this appearance to them where they just like flow and they have beautiful, sh- uh, beautiful curves and they've got a shape to them. Well, and I love that they take a different approach to growing a cone, much mm-hmm. like our friend the U. Yes. It's not your traditional cone. And our podocarp friends. Yes, that's right. Not your traditional cone. I think that's really interesting. And there are a few things that I dislike about this tree that I know of. Wow. And I don't live around them every day. This is like how my, my childhood friend Emily, I, I love like woodland creatures and I love deer Yeah, and she reviles deer (laughs) because she grew up where she would walk out in the morning and there'd be a bunch of fucking deer in her yard and they would spit at her, you know, that's just me. If I, maybe if I lived around junipers, I'd be like, I'm so fucking sick of junipers. Yeah. I think that is, uh, that is something that people have. Yeah. But I do not. And so I'm not sick of them. I love them. 9.2. Wow. Berries of honor. 9.2, 8.8. That's a 9.0 on average. And that's true math. That was our review uh, of the Western <laughs> Juniper. Casey, it's time for our completely arbitrary AMA. Today, we have a question regarding cones Oh, from Adam Hallahan. Adam Hallahan, how the heck are you? If you want to ask us a question and get on this AMA train, join up on completely arbitrary's tremium our here comes the ama train (laughs) it asks who who it's our (laughs) brand new support platform it's the best way to support the show and get a bunch of cool rewards bonus audio cone stickers every month ama access live stream access if you just want to you know uh support this podcast that you love so much and this week our question comes from adam adam says now i think adam might be new to the podcast. Oh, Adam. Hey, we're so happy. Be, and I'm getting this from context clues because okay. he says, Hi, Alex. I have heard your cone collection mentioned in episodes, and I'm interested in starting one as well. No Now, way. Casey, Casey is the man with the ridiculous cone collection. Yes. I have a few scattered around my apartment. You do? Yeah. I think it's just like, uh, I have to admit, if you associate yourself with me for any amount of time, it starts to happen. Like, oh, yeah. Cones, you just, cones show up. Yeah. Uh, Adam says, I am a teacher 
and they, the cones, would serve as great decorations and instructional tools for my classroom. Oh, 100%. Uh, do you have any tips or resources you can link out to that would help someone like me who is starting with no knowledge? Oh, well, now, Alex, what do you think? Well, here's what I know from your cone collection. So here's what you do. Well, this is what I, I know from Casey. You've got some options for depending on the application. Here. Yeah, yeah. If you want to, if you want to store your cones mm-hmm. in a more professional, scientific way, get yourself a jar, the size of which will depend on the size of the cone. Make sure it fits when it's going in. Yes, the mouth is the most important in yes. terms of jars. I've said this. Uh, and then, and then it doesn't. You know, you also you want to think about the cone expanding when it dries out. If it's a wet cone, and you want to make sure that that the jar will fit that too. Correct. Before you put it in there though, do yourself a favor, buy some little tags with some strings. You can find these at any, gosh, you could probably find them at a teacher supply store. It's very possible. Yeah. Science supply store also. Certainly. Um, you write the name, the common name of the cone species and the scientific name of the cone species. Put a date on there when you put it in there. That's that's a fun idea. Yeah, I like that. Casey's giving me a face like, hey, I never thought of that. That's never pretty good. I never thought of that. You might try it. Like people writing the date on the back of a photo, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. this is when I collected this cone. Yeah. And then you just twist the top, you forget about it. Put some Gorilla Glue in there so it, it uh, you can never open it again. I don't necessarily recommend that, but yes. You, 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 <laughs> Alex is so far doing great. Now, if you just want them for decoration, I say you go Christmas style and make a garland of cones. Oh. And you stagger. Big cone, little cone, big cone, little cone. Yeah. You can do all sorts of patterns. That's a great idea. Yeah. That's what I got. All right, excellent. Well, I noticed you have uh, you have not done uh, either of those those things, uh, Alex. As I look around, so do as I, I say, not as I do. I am going to propose that you do exactly that, and also just like toss them toss them around. I would sure. say uh, identify the cone for certain. That's a that's an important part of this all. That's all. That's also really fun. It is, yeah, and that is what I think kids have the most fun with, and. As a teacher, that I think is one of the most important things you can do. Mm. Uh, you have probably heard me, many people have, uh, talked about how I think that people learning the names of trees and how to identify them, even rudimentarily, like you don't need to say why this is oak tree A and why this is pine tree B. Just say, this is that pine tree. Yeah. And then kids can understand it. They can already uh, identify it. They can see it and say, yeah, okay, I see what that looks like. It is that. It's also very fun. To be able to, like, if you're on a walk, to be able to say, hey, that's a, this. Exactly. It's impressive. It's fun. It's fun to use your knowledge. Yeah. And kids are really good at this. Everyone is, but kids especially, just like they're good at everything, they're always learning and taking in everything. Mm -hmm. But teach them how to identify the trees first. And go find those little cones. Find as many as you can from different trees. Identify that tree. Do everything Alex said. And then you can have those set up and around. You can go sometimes to Arboretum or parks and do this, and they'll have names of the trees. But you can snag a couple little cones of uh, whatever trees nearby, uh, put them uh, somewhere to dry off a little bit, add that tag, and then you got your kids learning how to identify trees by just this one part. So when they walk outside again, they'll be like, wow, look, that's a cone from the Douglas fir I learned at school. I, I, I will also say, I know this isn't really what the question was about, but since we're talking about teaching people how to identify things, uh-huh. having a little mnemonic device or a little mm. tail, a little story. Yeah. I say tail very deliberately because yeah. for the Douglas fir, you got your little mouse butts, you know, coming yeah, out of the cone. Exactly. That's a great, that's a great example of a little fun fact 
that you can associate with that cone. Yeah. Because if you can if you can identify the cone, you can identify the tree. Right? Exactly. It's precisely right. Uh, thank you so much, Adam, for your question. Like I said, if you've got a question for us, support the podcast on completely arbitrary premium. Become a premium member today at arbitrarypod.supercast.com. Casey. Uh, another good one, Alex. Another another one for the books. Mm-hmm. Just a reminder, we have a brand new tote. That's right. We got a tote and new episode of The Seed Pod. It just came out this last week. Hell yeah. And if you yeah. want one of those totes, go to arbitrarypod.com slash merch and use the discount code new tote with a question mark. Get 10% off that brand new uh, tote. Love this today. <laughs> Uh, Casey. Great work uh, today. Thanks for the conversation, Alex. Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate it. It was an interesting one. Yeah, we'll see what everyone else thinks because I'm sure someone over in uh, Eastern Oregon is probably like, oh, no, no, no. This tree sucks. I can hear them typing the email and we welcome it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we welcome welcome this type of examination. For sure. (laughs) And with that, we say thank you so much for listening to this episode of Completely Arbitrary. We'll see you next time. Bye. See you. Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. If you want to support this podcast and become a premium member, head over to arbitrarypod.supercast.com. Thanks for listening.